Hey, welcome back to the Mainland Podcast. Uh, we are exceedingly happy with this week's result, and uh, here to uh, help me, Michael Citro, the managing editor of the Mainland.com, uh, is our intrepid reporter, Andrew Harrison. Andrew, how are you doing tonight? I'm having a good one, Michael. How's your evening going tonight? My evening is fine. I've got a, a nice um, a nice bottle of Doppelbach here, and I'm uh, enjoying that. And uh, I'm enjoying three points from Sporting Kansas City. It's been a long time since we've been able to say those words, so it feels <laughs> really good that we can come on and share the good news. It really does. Um, I kind of, you know, I went out to training on Friday, and I saw how the guys were, and they just seemed really loose and really carefree and... And that can either mean that they've checked out or it can mean that they're just, you know, confident. And, you know, the way that the, the, the coaching staff was reacting to them, it seemed like that they were confident and uh, they were having a good time. And like I said, they were loose. And I think maybe some of that is, you know, they knew Breck Shea was going to be in the lineup because Breck was one of the ringleaders for, uh, you know, keeping the group, you know, loose and, and having fun. And I just had a feeling that Orlando City would win that game, and I think I told Gavin before the game, I said, I just think we're going to win this game 2-1, to one. and it ended up even, even better than that. It was 3-1. to one. So, um, you know, I guess my first thought on the game, I'll give you my overall thoughts and uh, get your take on it. My overall thoughts are that the, the new guys are starting to fit in. I thought that Adrian Venter had his by far his best game. Obviously, he scored two goals, but by far – positionally and attacking and just making life miserable for the opponents. I thought he had a great game. I thought um, Servando Carrasco, I thought, played very, very hard. I know that he wasn't in Kansas City very long, but it, and he downplayed you know, the importance of the game from a personal standpoint. But it looked to me like he was playing with a chip on his shoulder. He was, he was everywhere all over the pitch, uh, intercepting passes and uh, getting in the way and, and doing good things. And, um David uh, Mateos had uh, that nice long outlet ball that ended up springing uh, Breck Shea for the, uh, to set up the second goal. So I thought the new guys did very, very well. Uh, and also, um, you know, Christian Aguita was his normal awesome self. And um, Brian Rochez uh, had a re- really nice outing. So uh, a lot of positives. And, you know, to go out and get the early goal and get the early lead, one nothing, and put the Kansas City team who – had played in Portland in the midweek uh, to put them back on their heels uh, was, I think, a big key to the game for me. Yeah, I think that putting them out and actually coming out a lot more explosively than I think they were expecting. Um, but to go back to your training, you know, seeing the lads at training and actually doing, getting that sense that they were going to win the game, I really feel like this was the first game in a while where they were playing without the expectation of getting the three points. And I think that really helped ease up the flow and not having Kakar and not having Saren and not having those big guys in there really allowed some of the new guys, especially Vinter, to play his own game and what he came here to do. Um, so I think it was really good that you were able to see that. I hope that continues into the next game. I did think a lot of our new guys had some great time. Um, I did think Vinter really kind of grew. Um, by the fact that he didn't have to play off Kakar. That worries me a little bit for the future, but it was good to see that he had that level of play that we hadn't yet seen, that obviously the club had seen when they were scouting him. Um, mm-hmm. I thought him and Mateos and Colin 
Um, you talk about Carrasco having something to prove. I think Colin really had something to prove, too. It wasn't <laughs> that he didn't want to stay there. It was that he wanted a little more money, and they just weren't willing to meet him. And I thought Mateos had a great game and has really started to flourish as a partner, as a partnership with Colin um, until that. I don't know why he did what he did to Dwyer, but you know that just kind of shows that he's still got a little bit of ways to go for the Orlando City ethos that Heath likes to put out there. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I'm glad you brought up uh, Aurelian Collin because he was inside Dom's shirt. He was inside Dom Dwyer's shirt uh, all night. He was um, very very alert to the danger that Dom presented and. I thought he did a really fantastic job on crosses coming into the box. I thought he got his head on a lot of them, and uh, he seemed really, really good to me. Um, on the flip side, Kyle Laren looked very, very uh, tired, very sluggish, and um, you know I think Adrian Heath said basically the same thing. He looked leggy to him, and um, I know that Kyle didn't get in until Wednesday night. So and I heard him tell somebody, you know, somebody asked him how the, the flight back from Belize was, and he's like, he's Oh man, it was long. So it, it sounded like he had maybe some some travel adventures. Um, and you know, obviously, he's played more soccer this year than probably any time in his life. And uh, it's it's showing a little bit. I mean, he's going to get a little rest this week. Um, Adrian said he was going to hold him out of practice till I think Thursday. Um, so you know, hopefully, he'll have his legs back under him. But I, I thought that uh, Brian Rochez came in and was very very positive, uh, almost from start he scored uh, shortly after coming on I think 10 minutes after coming on he he got his goal and you know his hold up play was good he's he's got good pace he's stronger than he seemed you know you, you look at him he looks a little bit skinny but he's very strong and he's still only 20 years old so uh, I think the future is pretty bright for him we got we caught a little glimpse of his ball skills uh, against New England when he took on two guys and still managed to not only um, keep them from taking the ball, but to get past them and set up a shot for himself. So uh, I think uh, we're starting to see a little bit more of what Brian Rochez can bring to the table. Yeah, and I think we're starting to hopefully potentially see an end to those people who want to say that he's not worth the young DP contract. I think mm -hmm. this is exactly why the young DP contract is in MLS. It is to allow those guys that time to bed into the team, to actually develop and become the future stars of this league instead of having to wait until we are priced out as a single entity from even bringing them here. Um, I was really impressed with him. I still feel like I want to see Laren get the start despite him being tired, but it is good to know as a fan that I can actually start to see a little bit of a silver lining and also that if Laren was to go down hurt just through fatigue, um, we would have somebody else to come off the bench that wasn't Danny Mwanga um, and just give someone another option. Um, and also to fit into the ethos of Heath's style of play. I feel like the Rochez and the Laren style are very similar to what he's played throughout his time in Orlando, with Orlando and Heath's system. And I feel like we can continue to exploit that instead of having to chop and change, which we've been doing with Laren and Ribeiro, where they basically two different styles of football. Um, so I'm hoping that having that extra tool ready to come onto the field will really help us. Um, and i kind of just glad that we're getting close to the end of the season so that Laren doesn't get burned out, because I want to see what he can do next year. Yeah, and I'd kind of like to see what he can do in the playoffs. So... <laughs> Uh, the three points actually moved uh, Orlando City up into a tie with 
Montreal obviously still behind on goal differential, and Montreal has a few games in hand. In fact, as we record this, they're playing tonight uh, out in San Jose. So that's a big game for Orlando City. If uh, if these games that Montreal has, and they have a bunch of them in a very short period of time, if if those those results don't come for Montreal, it could open the door for Orlando City. And you know, if, if Orlando City plays like they did against Sporting Kansas City, they can beat anybody in the league. That's oh, yeah. that's what we saw earlier in the year. That's the that's the team that beat L.A. That's the team that beat Columbus five to two. They moved the ball well. They were they were. Um, good in the midfield they broke up play very well anything that came into the box they handled there was no real nervy moments uh, on defense uh, there, there was uh, I should say that there was one nervy moment where uh, Christian Nemeth made just an unbelievable play and once he once he gets in the box if he gets a sight of goal he's just very very skilled at, at, at beating the keeper so um, that was unfortunate but uh, you know overall I thought a, a very positive outing you know I, I kind of went into it not expecting a lot they hadn't played very well without Kaká in the lineup uh, to that point. I know Adrian Heath said that they got results without him, without Kaká. I think he was talking about, you know, USL days maybe. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, they have it this year other than uh, I think the the one game that they played without him uh, where he rested was the Charleston game in the U.S. Open Cup. And, and even that was an adventure, a 4-4 draw into, into extra time and into penalties. So, uh, it was nice to get a win without uh, some of the big guns, and, it, and it's got to be great for the confidence. What did you think of the return of Breck Shea uh, and his his work rate and just his threat down the left side? Uh, I, I I was just blown away by how much he changed the dimension of our team. Um, and really, I kind of feel bad for not giving him enough credit when he was playing before he got hurt. He was just a dynamic outlet for us going down that left side. I really thought he strengthened Bowden's game too. It made him feel like a little bit more confident um, that he had the ability to go forward and have somebody track back behind him. Um, I did see that they seemed to be a little bit rusty on their positioning occasionally. Like they both seemed to be wanting playing left back and then they both wanted to be playing left wing. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure that will come back over time. But I think realistically the proof was in the pudding. He came on we looked like a completely different team. We all of a sudden had ideas. We all of a sudden had pace. And I think it was really quite incredible that one person made that difference, especially when he didn't necessarily have the other role players that he had before, like the Molinos and the Kaká and even Seren to a certain extent. Um, I'm really excited to see how he can keep going, and I'm really excited that he plays for our team. And hopefully he can help us get that final spot by staying healthy and giving us that width that we so desperately need for a one-man up front system. Yeah, I, I was impressed with him as well. And in fact, you know, we I've been talking to the guys, uh, you know, in the press box about how Shea hadn't been scoring and and it wasn't it wasn't that he wasn't playing well necessarily, but he wasn't getting goals. He wasn't I think he had the one assist in the LA game to uh to Avila on the header. And, you know, we did mention that, and I wrote the story, you know, even today on the site, I wrote a story about the, the team versus the East and versus the West and how the, the real downfall, the downward spiral happened as soon as Shea got hurt. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, it, that Colorado win was the last win. And that was, that was Shea's, um, that was Shea's uh, last game. He got hurt in that game. And then, you know, Orlando City went on to win, and I think there was only, there was only the, the Columbus win in that whole window 
uh, where he was out injured. And and even though he didn't start the game, and even though he didn't play till late in the game, I felt like his presence on the bench definitely affected the club. I thought I thought that that's what I saw Friday at training. I thought that he was sort of the catalyst. And, and Adrian Heath t- uh, touched on it after the game in his press conference. He said. You know, he gives his teammates a lift, and you could see that because they they have not been performing. And, you know, when you think about the lineup and you think about the guys, how important it is to have have MLS experience, experience in this league. And there's not a lot of guys other than Aurelian and Colin that have experience in this league. And, And if you look at that whole entire front line, you know, uh, you know, got Lewis Neal, who's been a career backup, really. And and no one else really. So Breck Shea is that guy who's got that that league experience, and he's also got that dynamic um, flair on the field that he can he can go in there and and just by his mere presence he can change things around a little bit. Yeah, and I think that going into this final stretch and really with it being down to you know really one spot left, it's really good that we can get somebody to come back and and be that new guy. It's almost like we had a new signing again and. And we can actually develop that, and I hope that it will be enough to get us that catalyst. And if we can just get some more balls in, and we talk, we've got some good headers, and we've got some good people returning. I think that could be the catalyst to help us bag that final playoff spot. That would be great. Well, why don't we turn our attention to the man of the match? Um, for me, it was pretty obvious. I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are, but um, uh, why don't you tell me who who was your man of the match, and I'll tell you who mine was. I. I'm not going to lie, I thought everybody played really well. I would probably say it probably has to go to Colin um, just because he did manage to mock Dwyer out of the game so well. And he just looked like he was really solidifying that. And I didn't, I never had that feeling when people were going forward that I was like, oh, this is where it's all going to go horribly wrong for us. Because he would just kind of take in that player out the game. Um, I think I would then also probably have to go with most people's easy choice, which would be Vinter, just for showing us what he could do when he was not unfortunately forced to play at right back or completely out of position or <laughs> just not really have any idea what was going on because he'd only been with the team for a week and a half. Yeah, uh, yeah. The most of most of his game so far, he barely knows his uh, his teammates' names, yeah. <laughs> let alone his role in the system and everything. And, and like you said. His first two games, guys right back gets sent off, and he's basically playing right back for a couple of games. So um, it was nice to see what he could do. He is my man of the match, not just for the two goals, but because he was just all over the pitch. I mean, he was uh, he he worked his work rate was unmatched. I think, um, although I th- I thought other guys worked hard, obviously, but I, I thought he was just he really ran his guts out all night, and and he made life miserable for the other team when they had the ball, and when he had the ball, he was dangerous. So. Uh, Adrian Vinter, the the Swiss man, you know, left winger from Switzerland. I, I think he he's my man of the match, and yeah, he's an easy choice. I also thought Christian Higuita was phenomenal. I I, I wish he had not played um, professional soccer before, because I would love for him to get Rookie of the Year, because I feel like he's truly come in and been exceptional. I think he's really he stopped us from being bottom. I will definitely put that out there. Um, yeah, I think the, the young Colombian has been um, a revelation. I mean, he's there's there are there are holes in his game. He's not perfect, but he's still only a kid, and he's um, you know he's he still has some issues passing the ball forward in the attack. Uh, he'll send he'll get some passes picked off, 
but he's just an absolute rock in the midfield, in the defensive midfield. He's he's what you want. He's he's going to break up plays. He's a little bit of an enforcer. He's he's. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily a dirty player, but I think he tackles hard, and I think he makes life difficult for the other team. And he's not afraid to foul. I mean, he's got a lot of fouls, but I, I don't think that he's necessarily a dirty player. So I, I think that he's just um, he's difficult to play against. I think he's uh, he's maybe a young Colombian Kyle Beckerman. Yeah, I I think he he's still playing that South American game of football. That's that's really his biggest weakness is that he's still uh-huh. trying to ch- change his way of doing things. But I will say I feel like he's also been a really calming influence on Soren too. Um, I was a little bit concerned with him in his USL USL days because he just seemed to be picking up cards left and right. But when <laughs> he's been playing and partnered next to Hagida, who doesn't tend to roam forward that much, but does play that solid defensive midfield role. I feel like that's really helped elevate Darwin's game, too, for the benefit of both of them. They're not both. Yeah. They're not crowding each other out of the game. They're letting each person kind of develop or be there when they need to. Yeah, I, I'm really happy with the defensive midfield this year, and, and they are. The team has gone how they've gone. If they if they've had an off game, Orlando City hasn't played very well. If they if they've done a good job and they've played hard and played well, Orlando City has been very very good on the ball. So you can kind of take your cue on on what the team is going to do from how those guys are doing in the defensive midfield. Also, it was nice to see Servando Carrasco have a, a great game, and um, you know he's been with the team a while now, but. You know, I talked to him on Friday, and he said, you know, it's still a little bit of a work in progress getting the system down here and, and you know, learning his teammates and that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I think it's, you know, we have a tendency in this country to be very impatient and say, oh, we signed this guy? Oh, he's terrible. No, you got to give a guy time. And, and a lot of guys around soccer will tell you it takes a full season to get comfortable. And obviously, three or four games is not a full season. So... Uh, and it's really tough in the middle of the season too, because I mean, you know, most of us have have changed jobs at some time, but it's not the same thing when you have, you know, you get blindsided and you have to uproot your family and and you know move across the country and oh by the way you still have to excel at your job hmm. uh, in in front of you know thirty thousand people every night, so uh, it's not an easy thing. And I've been as as critical of Carrasco as anybody, although you know. I, it's tempered. It's tempered criticism. I know that he's not where he needs to be yet, and um, part of it is tempered because he's been a career backup so far in MLS. But I, I saw some really good things from him on Saturday. Yeah, I think. I mean, once again, it was kind of. I am not too sure if Akugu was hurt or not, but Akugu hasn't been getting those opportunities, and for the fact that we traded him and Carrasco's been able to come in, and I think it's. It was really good to see, once again, the what I'm considering the Brian Burke syndrome of trying to highlight what the opposing team gave up. And I thought he <laughs> played really well. Um, I thought he came in and he did a good, solid job for Saran, who we wanted to play. Um, he's really actually shown what he was capable of. I mean, but he is also a player that hasn't played week in, week out in his time in the league. So it it's hard to see and it's hard to develop a new system because you don't know if that's the system you're going to be playing for more than six months. So it was good to see that he had that level. And I thought that he was definitely one of those players on the field that helped us get that win. He looked like he wanted to challenge for every ball. He wasn't holding off. He looked very confident. And I feel that if he can start to 
settle a little more. I'm definitely happy to have him on the bench. And if he gets his opportunities, he can take it. Or we have a long-term injury. He's definitely somebody I'd like to see on the field. Yeah, he just has to pretend the other team is sporting Kansas City every time. Yeah, it's not that hard. He's just <laughs> got to pretend they're playing in blue. That's right. Uh, okay, so I think we're uh, we're going to turn the page off sporting Kansas City. Big win for the Lions. Three points never felt so good, quite honestly. Um, it has been way, way too long since we've experienced a, a victory at the Citrus Bowl or anywhere. And um, so we're going to turn our focus to the Chicago Fire, who uh, the Lions will be playing for the fourth time this year. And uh, why don't we bring in our guest now and uh, have a little chat about the Chicago Fire. All right, joining us to talk about Saturday night's game in Toyota Park against the Chicago Fire is Sean Spence. Sean's been with us before. He's the editor-in-chief of Hot Time in the Old Town, our SB Nation sister site. Uh, Sean, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm well, uh, you know, uh, as can be. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, before we get into the, the, the Q&A here part of it, why don't you tell um, our listeners where they can find uh, your blog and, and you on, on Twitter and on the Internet? Um, okay, well, uh, I'm the editor-in-chief of, of Hot Time in OldTown.com. Uh, which is the SB Nation Chicago Fire blog. If you Google, you know, Chicago Fire SB Nation, you'll get us as well. Um, personally, I'm on Twitter as uh, Shield Chafing, who's a hero from the beginning of Beowulf, S-C-Y-L-D-S-E-E-A-F-I-N-G. Put it back slowly. It's, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter, too. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Good enough. All right. So, you know, I wanted to dive right into this. Chicago Fire is a team that seems to have um, just – they seem to have a lot of talent in the attacking part of the field, uh, but they, for whatever reason, are not putting it all together. And there's been some issues and, and some some reports that, you know, it's not a happy, shiny uh, organization and that a lot of people are not happy with, with Frank uh, as head coach and, uh, you know, and the front office in general. I mean, what are you hearing there uh, as boots on the ground at the, with the Chicago Fire blog? Um, well, I mean, <clears throat> uh, you know, I'm going to kind of venture into the world of hearsay a little bit, um, mm -hmm. where uh, to to talk about the overall state of the club. Um, essentially, um, the club are run or Chicago Fire have been run on the cheap for years by uh, a an investment group called, uh, called Andel Incorporated, and Andrew Houtman is the owner. Right? And um, the sort of frustration with the underinvestment in training facilities and travel and and every part of the club is finally kind of coming home to roost in terms of uh, fan protest, um, last home game, the uh, the supporters group, State in large part stayed in the parking lot during the game. Came in um, in like the 80th minute and ran up black banners um, uh, that were kind of passed around the crowd, um, sort of mourning the death of the sort of um, uh, idea of the fire. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so yes, a, a tremendous amount of discontent that continues to this moment uh now 
<clears throat> what is going on with the players is difficult to ascertain because the club does not give us any access to them. Um, but it seems that they are, you know, dispirited in the in the face of all of this negativity and in the demonstrated incompetence of the coaching staff um, that they have put together. I mean, you know, it's it's a small staff. And it's it's not getting it done. Um, so you know that's that's the other side of this. The football side of it is that, uh, long story short, this team was built to be a, a almost like the New York Red Bulls, a very attacking, high pressing, high block team. Um, and and if you look at the players they have in defense, you know it's not unusual for them to start Eric Gehrig and Jeff Lorenowitz side-by-side at center back. Those are really two defensive midfielders at center back. Um, and then a couple defensive midfielders in front of them. This this team was meant to play that kind of high-block pressing game and try to keep the action in, their own, in the other team's end. Um, but they haven't uh, been coached how to do so. And... Um, and that is a very technical <laughs> undertaking, you know, the understanding where to where to be when the ball is here and there and all of that. I mean, it takes a it takes a lot of repetition and a lot of understanding on the part of the coaching staff that they haven't demonstrated over the course of the season, and that's why it's a failure. I mean, essentially, they tried to do something they didn't know how to teach, and here we are, last in the league. Um, <clears throat> What was the original question? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you covered it. You covered it. Yeah, and and the frustrating thing is that you know um, we're watching as some of the really talented players, you know, not get a chance. I mean, Mikey Stevens sat on the bench for three months, waiting for another chance after his injury. Um, uh, we, Harry Ship is constantly playing on the wing where. He has all these defensive duties in a 4-4-2 that are not his specialty and that drag him away from the kind of multi-possession scheming that is his thing. Um, you know, the forwards aren't finishing. I mean, it's just uh, Akam is very talented. And if he's healthy, you're going to see a show from him, uh, guaranteed every time. If they, he's the one kind of, out and out win of the offseason. And if they can sell him for a lot of money in the offseason, which, frankly, if any scout is watching him and thinks that they have a better medical facility than the fire, which if they're in Division One football in the first world, they do, um, <laughs> then they'll, they should, you know, they should make some money off of him in the offseason. So, you know, that's where things stand. It, it's almost like preseason for us. Okay, well, you, I mean, you're, you're talking about a comma, so let me just jump right in and ask you about Saturday's game. Um, mm. Are you excited that eventually, I guess, I don't know, a DP is eventually paying off for you? Um, you've had some um, flops in the past, like the Sean Maloney's that haven't really <laughs> panned out. Um, right. Are you excited that potentially him and Gilberto might be able to start getting something going? Um, are you are you just really yeah. seeing that potentially this is going to be another one of those things where they buy a player and they're just going to trade him out because it's going to make some money for them? Yeah, you know, I would I would love to think 
that what we've got here is the is the sort of a, a very talented core of a very talented MLS attack, and that they're and that the, they're going to see that in the off season and say, okay, Akam, we need to keep him. Gilberto, let's keep him. Maybe even Igbonike, like you know, adding to those things, Mike, the way Mikey Stevens has played and Ship. Okay, we've got some things here. We don't really let's let's keep what we've got there. Um, I am very encouraged by by David Akam's success, and and but I mean I'm not surprised by it. He was the one of the one of the DPs that I was you know kind of excited by uh, before they showed up, um, just based on kind of you know the what a huge nerd I am and the fact that I watched a bunch of games. Um, you know, he was the guy that I, I was like, he's got a chance to kind of blow minds here, and he and he does, and he, and practically he he makes things interesting because you have to account for him in a way that that creates the, like it creates he creates motion in the defense that intelligent players can exploit like Ship and Steven. So you know, I would love to see him stay. I'm a, the thing I'm afraid of is that you know, that we're going to decide to shuffle the deck. And as bad as the Alice has been, I think that that getting rid of him and turning the roster over again would be worse. Um, because, like, this roster has gotten blown up, you know, year after year after year. And the players don't develop any of that kind of trust and knowledge of each other that allows you to kind of, create those kind of the higher uh, art of the game. And, um, you know, it's frustrating to watch. So mm-hmm. I, I really hope that, that just for my sanity, that they keep some people around, um, even though this season is obviously a, a complete, you know, like smoking crater uh, <laughs> in, in fire history. Oh, Sean, you know, Adrian Heath, um, Orlando City's uh, head coach, extremely, extremely complimentary of Igbo and Anike and Akam and Yarko and and uh, Gilberto. Uh, but how is the health of those four players? Like, are we likely to see all of them, some of them, none of them? I mean, how, how uh, what's the health situation? Okay, I think now Akam, like Akam is kind of a glass jaw guy, right? You know, he's a 60-minute player at this point in his career and probably forever. You know, he's 24, so he's not going to get way tougher. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he's got touchy hamstrings because of it, you know. And, and for me, like I think about Michael Owen and every kind of pure burner I've ever seen in world football, like the hamstrings is the problem. So if we have to nurse him to keep that special X factor, okay, I'm good with that. Um, Gilberto has always had injury problems as well. Um, that's part of the mix with him. Um, so I think he's apparently he's touch and go as well. Now, now I would expect that we're going to see a com that we're not going to see Gilberto um, because the com every week they're like, oh, we don't know when he plays. And Gilberto, every week, they're like, we don't know, and he doesn't. So, um, Igbo Danike seems like a tough dude, and he shows up and plays. And he, he kind of has that warrior thing. So, I would expect to see him. And, and he is very good. It's, you know, he's he's a real, you can see why they wanted him. His runs are good. He's smart. He plays hard. He, uh, he works hard in the defensive phase of the game, you know. 
makes good decisions about where to press and where to cut off, you know, the outlet and all that. Um, but, um, you know, in that golden moment, it just doesn't finish sometimes, and it creates that creates problems when you're a striker. Um, Nyarko will be there. Uh, he's he's come. Here's the thing, Patrick Nyarko. It's weird to watch him a little bit because he's always been so explosive, and he's not anymore. He's still got the same kind of dribbling style where it's he's tapping it and chasing it, and he's just better at chasing it than you. Um, mm-hmm. But without that without the kind of burst that allowed him to kind of come free. Um, and I think he's still figuring out how to handle that, how to handle it. Like he's transitioning to his later career playing mode. And I think he's, it's, it's tough, you know, like you take that two steps path where you'd have a space across the ball and the, and the back is still there. Like, Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I haven't had this has never happened to me before um, so you know it's, it's interesting to watch him work with it the thing that's great is that he's been really uh, really really competitive and really uh, positive despite not having that quicksilver you know explosion so well and uh, heading into this week's end game this is going to be Orlando and Chicago's fourth meeting of the season um, yeah. what do you think do you think you figured us out yet do you, what do you think is going to be the key for you guys trying to take three points when both teams are in a desperate fight for those three points uh, you know um, I have you know I, I really feel like Orlando is a team that if we had a tactically-minded coach, we could establish... Like, they're a team you could do something against if you were if you were so inclined. But we're just not so inclined. We're going to kind of do what we do. Um, you know, the uh, the Open Cup performance was, was lovely on from our end because we really, you know, accounted for Kaka and... Um, and made things made it difficult for you to play, um, except on like you know the break. And I, I would hope that we would try to kind of replicate that. I mean, you're probably going to see what you're going to see from us. You're going to see Polster and Coach in the middle, and and uh, um, you're going to be able to get at us on the on the wing on the on the our right wing, your left wing, probably. Because it'll be who knows, you know, it'll be uh, a discouraged Lavelle Palmer or the the Trinidad and center back we ha- we just signed who they played a right back last week or you know, <laughs> I mean it'll be something crazy over there. Um, there'll be things to explore. I mean, you know, I I think it's I think it's unlikely to be a rollicking fire win, just given the way and the people around it feel right now. Um, but I could see it being a tense, nervy, sort of ugly game um, with everyone's kind of need outweighing their sense of art, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because Orlando City and, and Chicago have met twice in MLS play, and Chicago uh, has scored three of our four goals for us. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot about that. You had the two, you had the uh, Daleson two own goals game, right? 
Oh, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> then, then, which then, effectively, then. that was part of his the kind of like destruction of a Dalton, the, the center back for Chicago Fire. Like he really hasn't played recently. He got hurt, and he's out well, now for the rest of the season, basically. Um, but before that, he was not playing because. You know, he had the two own goal game, and he had another game where he, he gave up a crazy penalty. I think, and like, I mean, he, he just—it's like it's like the the mental the, the curse of of Bakari Sumare like inhabited Adelton's body some at some point during the season, and he, he began to inexplicably brain fart um, <laughs> and cost his game. So, you know, I, <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I mean, Eric Gehrig got credit for that that goal in the last game, and it was um, it was unfortunate for Kyle Lahren because it would have been the rookie record if, he, if they would have given him him the goal. And you know, we were told that the league was going to look at it, but we never heard that they did. I mean, or if they did, they just like, yeah, yeah, it's an own goal, and they so, never even put out a release or anything. Is Kyle? He's not out right now, is he? No, he's he's here. He uh, he was out on. Um, well, he was a couple with World Cup qualifiers. Yeah, he, right. he was with Canada against Belize for World Cup qualifying. He just got back last week. He got back on Wednesday. Uh, was very, very tired looking um, oh. Saturday, uh, Sunday night against uh, Sporting Kansas City. And the team gave him, basically gave him off till Thursday. He said, go home and rest and right. stay in bed. <laughs> and and right. uh, so we'll see. We'll see if he can if he can be a threat. And, you know, the interesting thing is uh, that he, you guys have to break seen... that record. That, that guy is legit. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the kind of thing that when, uh, before we were recording, uh, we talked about this. Uh, you know, I really feel like your organization is understands the power of scouting. And, uh, you know, Kyle Lynn is the right choice there. And uh, he showed it, you know, he's, he's legit. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I think you guys haven't seen us with Breck Shea. I don't think yet. No, Maybe I don't the think first so. Game. I don't think and, so. And so, yeah, so he'll be in the lineup. It'll be a little bit different look for I think both teams because um, you know Maloney was there for the first couple of meetings that, that we yeah. we had against you, and then you know you brought in Gilberto. Although we we did see each other you know just a couple of weeks back in uh, in the Citrus Bowl, but. Uh, yeah, the, those games so far, Fire against uh, Orlando City, have not been pretty games. They've been very um, odd, back-and-forth sort of uh, amorphous games where right. just a goal, goal seem to happen rather than get scored. You know, they just seem to happen. Right. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh, my God! What? Let me rewind that. What? Yeah, so it's, yeah. It's, it should yeah. be another... No, it, it will probably yeah. be a lot like that. We don't know if Kaká is going to be healthy or not. Uh, or not. He picked up a knock with Brazil, right. and um, he's sort of day to day. And uh, you know, so <laughs> we have no idea what we're what we're really going to see. We have about three guys that are day to day right now, and and the way that this club has been, they've they're really tight lipped about injuries. I mean, we right. we came out to play LA earlier in the season, and all of a sudden, when without warning. Tally Hall was the starter. He like he didn't even play on the bench. He didn't sit on the bench. He just he went from rehabbing his ACL to oh he's starting today, <laughs> you know without any fanfare. So yeah. oh by we the way we don't really know. <laughs> he's not only healthy he's starting. That's what's up. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Fantastic. So. I I really appreciate that uh, you couldn't tell me that forty eight hours ago. Yeah, right. Uh, so <laughs> uh, it, it worked out. It worked yeah. out. So yeah. um, 
But I think Andrew's got one more question to ask you, a, a little bit off the beaten track uh, in oh, terms of what I we've been am, talking uh, about. I live off the beaten track, um, so you know, <laughs> this will be right home for me. Well, it's just we've heard some news this week that Orlando City might be eventually actually starting to move into women's soccer. Um, and I was just wondering if you'd had any – had that been good for your organization? Is that run by somebody completely differently? Um, but does has that been something that's really attracted Chicago to soccer? I know a lot of people have a problem with going out to Toyota Park. I just didn't know um, if that was something you've really – is that really taken hold in Chicago? Uh, okay, well, I will say the Red Stars, I mean, Red Stars were founded by the same guy that founded, well, I mean, among other people, right? Peter Wilt was involved, and he was he was involved with the founding of the fire as well. Um, and so there's a lot of kind of tickling of the same social circles there, uh, especially with, there's a lot of commonality between the kind of older barn burner fire fans, you know, from back in the day. And the support for Red Stars and the WSL team. Um, you know, the sad fact is that women's professional sports are a tough sell um, for whatever reason. And hopefully that, you know, is going to change or has begun to change. Um, you know, I know that Red Stars have, Red Stars don't play routinely at Toyota Park, they play a couple of games at Toyota Park every year, but mostly they play at St. Benedictine University in like Elgin, Illinois. And it's, you know, seats like, I don't know, three or 4,000. They mostly fill it. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, uh, the, uh, I think that more football is better. Um, that's kind of the way I feel about it. And that, um, you know, everything that allows um, a, a seven-year-old girl to have the same feelings and aspirations that a seven-year-old boy has when, he watch, when they watch the game uh, is a good thing. And so I think that starting the women's team is a great idea. I think that you are unlikely to get 30,000 people show up uh, at this point in the world, uh, but that when you when you really start to watch the NWSL, um, you'll realize that it is a a you know kind of brutal and practically sophisticated and unsentimental version of the game um, played by really you know kind of uh, highly skilled women um, and and it, like it, it's you know it's at a higher level than MLS. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, when you watch the game, you can see that the thinking involved um, by the, in general, of course, of the 11 is, is a little better than you see some, you know, there's time for you watching MLS game and it's, it's, it, you feel like it's a really great park game, you know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. they're just, they're running about and they're doing some stuff and that guy's got some skill and, <laughs> This guy's got some bite and, you know, okay. Um, it's, it's like watching a, a scouting game. And, you know, I never feel like that when I watch Red Stars. I always feel like there's an idea and um, they're playing to that idea. And, you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. We had a really bad outcome in the semifinals last weekend where the Red Stars 
just, I mean, gave up three goals in the first half and lost to Kansas City again, um, you know. Uh, but the the it wasn't because of incoherent play. It was because Kansas City had a good idea and kind of, and fate, you know, favored that idea. So what are you going to do? Exactly. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like um, the NWSL is a, is a high-level women's league, whereas cool. MLS worldwide, you look at MLS, and they're not high in the pecking order in terms of right. top flights. So I, I do think you're, gonna, you're getting the best women from around the world coming to NWSL, uh, yeah. and, and it's it's really a good thing. We're, I, I think Orlando's pretty excited about uh, getting a club. Of course, some of that excitement comes from the fact that we have a a player that's married to Alex Morgan. Right. Uh, and then, <laughs> right. Well, and some no, people are I mean, just assuming. I mean, that's like part of it. You know, Alex Morgan is, uh, you know, I have to say that, like, I was asked a lot about Alex Morgan this summer, right? Because I, mm-hmm. I work in a public place and everybody knows I'm a soccer guy and everybody's watching the women's soccer and none of them have any idea. Like, you know, these are all, New faces to them, you know. They're they're watching Abby Wambach and going, "That girl looks yeah. big," you know. Like, okay, that's Abby <laughs> Wambach, you know. Um, so, uh, and you know, there's a lot of talk about about uh, Alex Morgan's play, but you know, she was a consummate professional in that setting. Like, really came out there, obviously not physically right at the beginning of the, of the tournament, and came out there and did her job as a lone forward. Uh, where it really didn't favor her. It's not the kind of thing she has done, um, but the team was better with her out there, was better with her, you know, her pace and power kind of providing that threat rather than Abby, who's more static now. And, you know, um, I, you know, I hope that you guys start with her as as the start of it, because I think that would be tremendously exciting for everybody in Orlando. And I think she's a great place to start a team. You know, um, you know, a big strong girl who scores goals for fun and and is you know a supermodel. You know, okay, yeah. great. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely not hurting from a from a marketing perspective. If we could mm-hmm. just uh, find a find a way to get her out of Portland, uh, I think we'll be all set. <laughs> all it takes is money, but you know yeah, you got right. money, so. That's true. That's true. So, Sean, before we let you get out of here, uh, we got to get your prediction for Saturday night's match. Uh, so, uh, what's your scoreline? What do you think is going to happen? I think it's going to be three to two Orlando. I, I, in fact, I think it's going to be a back and forth game. It'll be like you know one nil Orlando, two one Chicago, three two Orlando like that. Um, I think when the when the chips are down, the the positive possibilities for Orlando are going to outweigh the kind of desperate clinging that Chicago is going to bring. Um, uh, and I I could see us having a hard time with Brad Shea on the left side. So, um, yeah, I'd say three to two or later. All right. Well, Sean Spence, the editor-in-chief from Hot Time in the Old Town, thanks so much for joining us on the Mainland Podcast. Always uh, enjoy talking to you. And um, other than Saturday night, we we certainly wish you uh, good luck the rest of the way. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, and good luck to you, like I said before. So, have a good one. Well, that just about wraps up this edition of the Mainland Podcast, episode 29. We want to thank our guest, Sean Spence, from Hot Time in Old Town. It's always good to talk to Sean. Um, 
you know, like a lot of fire fans, very uh, self-deprecating and uh, you know, he's, they've, they've had some tough seasons of late, but they also have some, some good history that, you know, certainly Orlando city would like to have, uh, you know, someday. So uh, it was good to hear from Sean. Uh, if you are a listener of the podcast and you grab us on iTunes, thank you very much for listening. You can always find us online at themainland.com. It's T-H-E-M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D.com. You can find us on Twitter at themainland. Again, M-A-N-E, not M-A-I-N. We're like a lion's mane. Uh, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary as a blog, too, so that's pretty exciting. It's uh, It's been almost one year since we started out as a little WordPress site, and now we're, we're one of the... Uh, more widely read blogs on SB Nation among soccer, MLS soccer uh, blogs uh, on SB Nation. So we're very excited about that. We thank all of you who uh, read our stuff. We we certainly uh, enjoy writing it, and we enjoy having you read it. So uh, with that said, Andrew, why don't we move into the final phase here, and I want to get your key matchup for Saturday night and your score prediction. Uh, I'm going to go with the key matchup is probably going to be um, it's going to have to be somebody who's marking up against the calm. I'm going to say that it's probably going to be Ramos right now. I think that's just going to be something he's going to have to at least slow him down, try to get him stopping those crossing those balls. Um, I hope that we can actually do that. That's the one thing that we've not yet managed to do against Chicago in the three games we've played. Um, mm. I think that my other matchup is probably just going to be Johnson against our forward line and seeing if we can get something past him. I think he's been one of the better players for Chicago this year. Um, I know they've been leaking goals, but I don't think that's necessarily his fault. Um, and I think I'm going to say my score prediction is going to be 2-0 Orlando. Um, I think we're just going to go in there and roll them over, just coming on the back of a solid win, getting some returning players, and I think Chicago is just on its way down. All right, well, that's that's quite a prediction. I agree with you about uh, Rafael Ramos. I think Ramos and Venter on the right side against Akam on the Chicago left I think is the the matchup for me. They've really got to, to do a good job teamwork-wise uh, keeping him at bay. He's so quick, and they are so good on the counter. I think the other matchup for me is the midfield. Orlando City cannot, cannot, cannot turn the ball over against a team with the speed on the counterattack that Chicago has. Uh, I do not believe we'll be able to keep a clean sheet um, in addition to not being able to keep very many clean sheets lately. Uh, I think Chicago just has is, is got a little too much firepower and it only takes, you know, one errant pass before you're yanking it out of the back of your net. I think uh, we might see a, a repeat of the first game where it was 3-2 Orlando City. Although I think this time around, maybe Orlando City players will score all the goals instead of uh, Chicago scoring two of them on themselves. Uh, I just think it's a little too much to ask for the other team to keep putting the ball in their own net. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> we'll take it though if they want to do it. Yeah, yeah. If they want to turn around and fire it into their own net, that's that's great. Eric Gehrig, I think, was just last game was just uh, you know paying us back for picking him in the expansion draft from Columbus. So he was he was showing his support by uh, heading one over Johnson and into the net. But uh, yeah, I think Andrew, this is going to be. Um, it's it's never an easy game for Orlando City. Uh, we don't have easy games. Um, we have unexpectedly easy games, I guess. I guess against really good opponents like the Galaxy come in and you beat them four nothing, or you know the Crew come in and you beat them five to two. Those are you know certainly aberrations. But other than that, everything's been a dogfight. And I really think 
the first goal is just vitally important in this game. I think again, if Orlando City can get out on the front foot and get the first goal, I think that they could they could get the three points. If they give up the first goal, it's going to be a struggle to split the points, mm. and they definitely need to get at least one out of this to keep pace with with what's going on in Montreal with with them with the impact having so many games in hand. You can't really afford to drop any points. So, uh, vital game on Saturday night at Toyota Park. Uh, I believe it's 8.30. Is that that right, Andrew? I believe so, yes. 8.30 Eastern time. Um, It should be be a great matchup. Uh, Again, um, we don't know right now if Kaká can play, but, you know, coming off a win without him, team's got to have a lot of confidence, and it's really uh, nice to see. Uh, them go out and get a victory without Ricky on the field. So, um, you know, maybe they can uh, duplicate that. Or maybe they get Ricky back and they're even more dynamic. Who knows? That would be nice. I just hope, I feel like sometimes I don't want to mess with a winning formula. And so <laughs> if if he's not too healthy, I'm okay if they potentially don't leave, if they leave him out just so that we can kind of get that going. But if he comes back, I'm not going to turn down a world player of the year. Yeah, and, and Chicago has done a really nice job on crowding him, but that's without Breck Shea. With Breck Shea on the field, and I don't know that Breck is, is um, fit enough to go 90, so he may still come off the bench in the second half, but with Breck Shea on the left, I don't think they're going to be able to crowd Kaká quite as much as they, they like to do uh, because that's just going to leave way too much room for Breck. So um, I, I feel... Okay, I mean, you know, that's it's kind of a weird feeling to feel okay about the team's chances because there have been so many disappointments over the last two months. But uh, feeling like the boys in purple, or they may be wearing white on Saturday, <laughs> might be able to might be able to get three points and uh, and and sort of climb back into this thing. It would really it would really uh, be a boost if they could come home with three points, knowing that you know they've they've got you know other than the Red Bulls, they've really got a very favorable schedule from here on out. Yeah. Hopefully one time MLS helps us. It was with the schedule. <laughs> yeah. Because the rest of the, the rest of it hasn't helped with all these international breaks uh, and, and playing key games. That hasn't been uh, very helpful to us, but you know, it is Orlando city's first year. And one of the things they're going to learn is, you know, what you want to have is a very talented team where you don't have a lot of international players. Look at the red bulls. Uh, you look at the Revs who only lost uh, Jermaine Jones when we played them a couple weeks ago, and you go, wow, they have all these great players. They only lost like one guy yeah. <laughs> during the FIFA break. So um, that's kind of the ideal thing. But uh, then the other thing is we got a lot of young players, and they sort of, you know, they get gobbled up too for those U20 tournaments and the U23 tournaments and that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it's a double-edged sword. You want You want the best players you can find, but, you know, you have to deal with that along with it is that you're going to lose those guys for those international breaks. And I really believe there is a groundswell of support for at least taking some of those FIFA breaks off starting next year. I really hope that they revisit that in the off season because it's, it's been pretty brutal uh, for some of the teams, especially, you know, uh, I think Orlando at one, one stage had seven guys missing on international break Mm -hmm. Uh, early in the season. I think there were, there were a lot of tournaments going on. There were seven guys missing at once. So, that's a little tough. It makes it tough to, especially when you you have expansion team depth. It's it's not easy to show up and play uh, against another MLS club with you know seven guys out of the lineup and like probably five of them are starters. So I think that was our learning curve for this year that we just genuinely hadn't anticipated. Was we went out and garnered all this talent, and then we realized that we weren't going to catch any league breaks and we weren't going to have 
it was a lot more compacted season, and it was just more to do, more travel, and I think it just hurt us too much. But we're on the, hopefully on the upswing, and we can keep it, fingers crossed. Yeah, let's try to make this two in a row. I mean, it's been a long time since Orlando City has had a winning streak of any type. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens Saturday night at Toyota Park. If the guys can come home with three more points, uh, it would really, really be a huge, huge uh, boost going into the, the final stretch of the season. So uh, we'll find out what happens. We'll come back next week. We'll talk about the Chicago Fire. We'll look ahead to the next game. And until that time, uh, on behalf of Andrew Harrison, and thanks again to Sean Spence, I'm Michael Citro from TheMainland.com saying, Go City!